it's now Wednesday, uh, the 16th of December, and I want to apologize to those who watched our service online. We had some technical difficulties, and so the first half of the service was um, the video worked, but you couldn't hear any sound, so it didn't do much good. So I apologize for that. Um, and so at a few requests, and it seemed appropriate to me that maybe I would re-record my sermon from Sunday so that some of you who might be interested could go back and review it. So I'm going to begin with the reading of the gospel. So again, it's good to be with you on this December 16th, Wednesday. Um, but we're going to be preaching from the Advent 3 lesson from John chapter 3. The Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, according to St. John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into Ju the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John was also baptizing at Enon near Salem, because the water was plentiful there, and the people were coming and being baptized. For John had not yet been put into prison. Now discussion arose between some of the disciples of, of John's disciples and the Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive anything, even one thing, rather, unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I am, that I said, I am not the Christ, but have been sent before him. The one who is the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy is mine, is now complete. He must increase and I must decrease. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts and minds of your faithful people, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, on this Advent 3, we get a second dose of a reading about John the Baptist. If you were with me on Advent 2, listening to the sermon, you know that we talked about John from the Mark Gospel account. And in that, let me just rephrase and remind you of the points I made that last week. That, first of all, we have to recognize our need for a Savior. And John does that so well. Talks about that as we prepare for the coming of God into our lives, we have to be aware that we are sinful, broken people in need of a Savior. And secondly... Um, having understood that and received the kingdom through the person of Jesus Christ, we have to begin to see ourselves as John was, a signpost, a sign, someone pointing to Jesus Christ with our lives. There are people literally, their lives are depending upon us being a John the Baptist type figure in their lives as others were to us. And we reminisced about those people who were a signpost pointing to Jesus in our lives. I'm going to refer to John the Baptist a lot as the Baptist because uh, he was the baptizer, but also to distinguish him between John the baptizer, John the Baptist, and also John the gospel writer. And today 
our account of John the Baptist comes from the Gospel of John, the disciple, the apostle. And remind you that John first appears in John chapter 1 as he and his disciples see Jesus publicly as an adult. And John the Baptist points to Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God. And then a second time in chapter 1, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we know that uh, Andrew was one of John's disciples who becomes a follower and a disciple of Jesus. And there's another disciple who's unnamed that's with him. And some of John's disciples actually defected, if you will, and came over to follow Jesus. That's not a problem for John, but it certainly is a problem for some of his followers. So now we pick up in chapter 3 where the lesson I just read to you um, sees the conflict, the very first conflict in the ministry of Jesus coming not from Pharisees or other religious leaders, but from John's disciples and their controversy. A Jew who's unnamed, obviously a Jewish leader, uh, begins to question the disciples of John the Baptist about the practice of purification. And, and I talked last week about the fact that um, the mitvahs were used in the first century to, as a spiritual cleansing for people before they went into the temple and uh, as a ceremonial purification. And so that's the reason why the purification word comes up. John's baptism is more than just a mikvah, more than just a, a purification. It's a preparation for the coming of God himself. As I talked about last week, the prophecies that are speaking about the coming of God and uh, in, in Malachi are, are not just about the Messiah, but God himself. And of course, we know that Jesus is both Messiah and God himself in the second person of the Trinity. So these disciples become upset. Um, they see they're frightened they're they're concerned that that john's popularity and 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 john's status is being de deterred and undermined by jesus um john is really clear that jesus is far and above him he is first and must be raised up must increase even as john himself decreases now i want you to to notice how uh, it's easy to be critical of John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, but, but recognize that uh, of all the places that Jesus could have gone and set up his ministry, he chooses Enon um, near Solomon, and we're told that specifically by John the Gospel writer, because it is exactly the same place that John the Baptist is doing ministry, which is why they can refer to that guy across the river that was with you is now baptizing and he's and many are going over to him jesus gets right up in john's business so to speak he comes right in and moves in exactly where john is and um i think that's really in interesting and, and helpful to to process a little bit um, when we invite christ into our lives he comes in ways that sometimes we don't expect and he challenges parts of us that we might otherwise think we're safe and, and not, um, not of concern. Jesus comes right in. Jesus is different from John. We know this because other accounts like Matthew 11 where it says, you know, the, John the Baptist didn't drink. And, and, you know, you call him this crazy man. And, and the Son of Man comes and drinking. And you call him a, a, a drunkard and a and a wine bibber and all these other things and so there's differences between john and jesus's ministry and, 
And even to the point that at one point later on, John sends disciples to say, are you the Messiah? Because John himself was not concerned. He, he can't put Jesus into a box. And Jesus uh, is, is challenging John's ministry in all sorts of ways. And this is just the beginning of it as John's disciples come to John concerned about he who was with us across the river. The thing I want you to first to see is that um, we are, are called to be like John in his character, in the way he responds to Jesus, even when Jesus gets all up in his business, sets up camp right near where John is, and begins to draw away some of his disciples. Look at the character of John the Baptist. He is willing to share even the, the ministry of baptism with John and recognizes that he has no control over what Jesus will do in his life. I particularly want to draw your attention back to verse 27. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. What an amazing attitude to have. To, to see everything that we re have received as a gift from the Lord, as a blessing from him. To focus on what he has given us rather than what we don't have or what we wish we had or what's been taken from us. Now this is not, you know, whatever happens is of God's will. This is not a sort of a, a sort of a, you know, capitulation to sort of chance. But it's a recognition that we can't hold on to things and control things. We especially can't control the way Jesus works in our lives and on those we share. I think this has some personal connotation for me. It's, it's a personal application, if you will, because we, we need to begin to cultivate this attitude of uh, allowing Jesus to do what he wants to do in our lives and in the lives of those around us and to recognize that that every gift is from him. James will, uh, in the epistle James writes, we'll talk about that too. Every perfect gift comes from above. It also has corporate application for me um, and the community of faith and the church. You know, I think about community groups and covenant groups. These are two things that I've tried to uh, create and inspire and, and uh, help develop within the parish. But the reality is that once, you know, we establish the community groups, uh, the Lord led certain community leaders in different directions and, and I had the opportunity to either release those things to God's care or to try to control them. And I believe the Lord is constantly calling us to trust his work in the lives of other disciples. The very first man I was blessed to, to lead to Christ through a presentation of the gospel, I was a high schooler and he was a middle schooler. His name is Joseph and he lives up in Indianapolis now. And you know, I, I think about Joseph, I, I know very much, very little about what his life's like right now, although he still professes Christ. I see him on Facebook sometimes, we occasionally will like something or comment on something, but, but it's this trusting of, of Jesus' work in the lives of other people and to realize that it's all his grace at work in us. It's just so liberating. Think about covenant groups that we establish, and again, they take on their own personality and we have to trust the Lord to work in the lives of the people that we that He's in. Our job is to be a signpost, to draw them, to to direct people to Christ. Then what Christ does in their lives um, is oftentimes beyond our control. Secondly, I want you to see in John's response to his disciples and their concerns about Jesus and his ministry. I want you to see that John's 
finds his purpose in fulfilling his role that Jesus has called him to. John sees himself as, if you will, the best man. He's not the bridegroom. And again, this is a, a, an analogy that's used throughout scripture between God and his people. Comes up at the end of Revelation is, is Jesus is the bridegroom and we the church are received as his bride, corporately the bride of Christ. It's one of the, uh, one of the more well-known analogies of the, of the church that, that the gospel uh, and that the whole Bible uses. But here John picks up on that idea. John the Baptist picks up on that idea and he talks about the, himself as the best man, as the friend of the bridegroom, what we would think of as the best man now. And, and notice that, that, that John rallies in that role. Uh, he rejoices in the coming of the bridegroom and he steps out of the spotlight. It's interesting because we, we think about this passage from, uh, about John the Baptist and, 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 and clearly, you know, the Lord is calling us to be uh, team members and not to be the star of the team. Jesus is the star. Uh, but there's a time where John really is in the spotlight. It is focused on him. And, if you've ever been on it in a team or a team sport, you know that there are times where the spotlight does fall on certain people, even though there's uh, there's a sense that the team is greater than the individual. But but it's what you do when the spotlight turns away from you, when it's not your turn, and that's what's happened with John. It's it's his time is now to decrease as Jesus increases, and John finds fulfillment in his purpose. Regardless of what we do voca vocationally, what we, how, how we make our money, or, or if we're retired, how we spend our, our time in retirement, it, regardless of, of what occupies the time of our lives, our purpose should be like John the Baptist. To, to, to rally and to, to rally people to Jesus and then to, to relish in his glory and his, his joy in Jesus taking on the spotlight. I'm reminded of uh, the, the worst best man speech I ever heard. I don't know about you, but I've heard some pretty bad best man speeches. Um, let me tell you, the worst one I've ever heard, um, the guy broke every cardinal rule of giving a best man speech. He talked about himself. He didn't talk about the bride at all. He told stories that not only um, were funny, they weren't funny, but they also were, were disparaging of the groom's character. Um, he, the only good thing he did was describe a quote from another person's best man speech that he had stolen that was far better than the speech he was giving, thus reflecting on the fact of how poorly a job he was doing of being a best man. That's the complete opposite of what, what John takes on, the character of John, which is to continually turn attention to the bridegroom, Jesus and to rally and relish in his glory, not our own. I'm reminded of Leslie Newbegin, uh, the Bishop of the Church of South India, who talks about the need. He wrote extensively about the, the church and he said what, what God needs is 10,000 faithful churches, nameless, not necessarily distinguishable between, the, between them, faithful to the gospel work, not superstar, not mega churches, not those who bring glory to themselves, but rather those who bring glory to God through their faithful, obedient work. Are we willing to be one of those 10,000 churches? Faithful, even if our names are not remembered in history, even if we never receive any acclaim, are we willing to be the friend of the bridegroom? John is, and he rallies in it. And then goes on to 
you know, put that exclamation point as he says, and this is my third point, that that John the Baptist acknowledges that his joy has been made perfect, is fulfilled in serving out this purpose. How and where are we glorifying Jesus in our lives? Do we see that as our, our purpose, regardless of our job? To, to bring glory to Jesus and how we do our work and how when given the opportunity, we give glory to Jesus Christ. John has found complete joy in serving in that role. And he calls us to do the same. That's the reason why John the Baptist can decrease and allow Jesus to increase. Because he knows that's where his joy comes from. In living out this purpose that he's been called to. Let me tell you, the conviction for me and I think for most of us is that oftentimes we're striving to hang on. Spent lots of time with retired people, particularly retired men who rally and relish in the good old days. Bruce Springsteen even wrote about the glory days and what we used to be and trying to hang on and striving to stay relevant. One person said, are we building our resume or are we building our epitaph? The epitaph is that which is said about you after you die. What will count? What will matter? Have we gloried in our own fame? Have we sought our own resume? Are we seeking to bring glory to Jesus? Are we willing to be the friend of the bridegroom and to see our core purpose and right raising him up and letting him increase in our lives even as we decrease? Well, you know, this John 3 passage, if, if you had quizzed me six months ago without reviewing it, I would have said John 3 is about the story of Nicodemus, the religious leader who comes in the dark of night to, to find Jesus, to seek him out. And then if you'd asked me about John 4, I'd say, well, it's all about the Samaritan woman at the well and, and this, this outcast woman, this sinful woman who finds redemption and, and, and salvation in Christ. And, you know, you know, Nicodemus eventually becomes a follower of Jesus in, you know, later on in the Gospels. And the Samaritan woman becomes a, a, gospel, a, a follower of Jesus right, right there on the spot. But wedged in between these two very different salvation stories, evangelistic stories, is this passage of John speaking to us, the church. Will we not only proclaim Jesus, but will we seek to model our lives after John's character, which understands that what we are is equally important to what we say. This is the opportunity today to uh, continue to prepare our hearts in the season of Advent. To yes, see our need to remember our need for a savior, to be in touch with our own sinfulness and our own need for to repent, set our hearts straight to see ourselves core in the purpose of being signposts for the kingdom and understanding that it is taking on the character of those, of those like John the Baptist who would point to Jesus that he might increase in our lives that we might decrease that others might glory in Jesus to the coming of his kingdom May you be blessed in your continued preparation in the season of Advent. And we look forward to the celebration of Christ's incarnation. In the name of the Father, 
and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.